Hey everybody, this is John Fusco, and you're listening to the No Film School Podcast. Not many people with an interest in film have the direction to start pursuing sound at an early point in their career. It seems rather that through working on various projects, they come to realize how powerful a tool sound really is, and fall head over heels in love. If it's early enough in their career, there's plenty of work to be found and no turning back. For Millie Ayutru Morgan and Eileen Lee, this was certainly the case. All it took was a simple choice followed by years of dedication to find their way as two of the biggest sound designers in the industry today. Their latest collaboration is Damien Chazelle's First Man, one of the biggest movies of the year in both popularity and scale. The film, which tells the story of Neil Armstrong's ascent to the moon, is densely layered with filmic tricks that when combined together, create a wholly immersive experience for the audience. And while much fuss has been made over the project's expansive visuals, it would truly be nothing without the genius sound work of these two individuals. I sat down with the pair at TIFF to discuss how they first decided to enter the business, gathering libraries of sound over the years, and their collaboration in post with director and composer on what will surely go down in history as one of cinema's greatest space stories. Enjoy. This is John Fusco. I'm here at TIFF and really excited about this interview um, because I, I think you two are the first, like, this is the first sound design-centric uh interview I think we've ever done on the oh, show. Oh, wow. Um, so why don't I, with that, let you introduce yourselves and uh, tell us what role you played on First Man, which is a massive undertaking for a sound designer, yeah. I would say. Well, my name is Millie Iatru Morgan, and I'm, I was supervising sound editor along with Eileen Lee, who is supervising sound editor, sound designer, and re-recording mixer. Um, I basically just supervised the dialogue, all the spoken word stuff, dialogue, production dialogue, ADR, background voices, Walla loop group. Um, that was my focus. And uh, I'm Eileen Lee, um, like what Millie had said. Um, for me, I'm also one of the supervising sound editor um, together with her. Um, and I um, focus on the sound design and also uh, one of the uh, re-recording mixers mm -hmm. on the film. So as supervising sound editors, uh, who do you supervise? What what is your uh, you know what do you, what is your job, so to speak, in the post production process? It's our job to have the overview of the the sound editorial team. Um, like I said, I focus on the dialogue, so I worked with uh, dialogue editor Susan Dawes, um, ADR editor Galen Goodpaster, um, and Eileen has her crew. Yeah. So um, for me, um, because we are more focused in the post-production process. Mm. So um, for for the uh, effects part of it, um, so I would cover generally the effects and Foley part of it. And so for First Man, since it has so much, um, um, so many unique sounds and we want it to be more authentic. So we also did a lot of um, original recordings. So um, part of our, um, the crew that I would supervise uh, would include like um, uh, sound effect recorders, um, you know, like John Fasal, um, who had done like, who was also a former sound designer, but now he's focusing a lot on original sound recording, like from Top Gun mm. to Dunkirk and all that, like mm -hmm. till our movie, First Man. Yeah. Um, and, you know, um, we also had other helps um, on recording the sounds. That's the first part of it. And then um, 
we did that, you know, a little bit before we started post sound editorial. Then once post sound editorial started, um, then you know, besides Mac Millie with her dialogue and ADR crew, um, for the effects side, uh, we'd have um, um, uh, effects editors who would you know cover you know the effects editing and the backgrounds, and then we have um, foley editors who where you have supervising foley editor foley editors who would you know. Basically, their job is to cue the foley and stuff. Um, and then also part of whom I um, also supervise are the foley walkers. So the foley walkers, is that is that literally, what, what is a foley walker? Is it someone, because uh, this is all massive. Like I, you know, I was just telling you that I finished my first short and I had one sound designer <laughs> doing everything. It seems like you guys have teams of dozens of people on the team, each with their own respective it, jobs. It's not dozens. When when I first started doing this 30 years ago, I would work on a crew. There would literally be dozens of, mm. of film sound editors and assistants. Now the crews are much smaller. I wouldn't quite say dozens. I would say in total, what, maybe? In total at any one given time, because um, say for First Man, the post-production was about like, uh, maybe four, five months or so. Mm -hmm. um, so throughout that time period, you know, we have um, sound editors who, who who come on and off. So at any one given time, I'm guessing maybe that could be a crew of, would you say, like five? Yeah, five or six. Or six. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a lot. It's a lot more it's than one. Yes. <laughs> it adds up when you see yeah. the credits. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so then how did you two... Um, get into sound design like what what uh let's let's take turns um, sure you know it seems like such a specialized yeah. field did you go into you said you went to city college yep. earlier was that did you always know that you wanted to be a sound designer no but i when i went to ccny i wanted to be a director and i made films there but it's really strange because I, out of everybody in my class, I spent the most time on the sound. Mm. And I didn't even think of it as, oh, I want to do this for a living. I just wanted, uh, I did a, a film where I used a lot of home movies to tell the story of my family. And I thought I had invented Foley because <laughs> I thought, oh my God, let me put the sound of footsteps with the picture. And I thought I made this up and I recorded myself with a microphone walking down the stairs and stuff. Um, and then later, of course, realized that that was Foley. <laughs> we didn't, at City College, we didn't have a sound teacher. Or we didn't really, so I kind of figured it out. And one of, one of my teachers had been a sound assistant, so... You know, I did my own recordings, and um, and so for me, my path was different from my Ling's. For me, it was I kind of ended up in sound by working in different aspects of film, and I found when I started doing it consistent, consistently, that I really liked it, and I I I think people thought I was good at it, and they kept giving me jobs. So I thought, you know, let me focus on this, and that's when it got really interesting. Hmm. How about you, Alan? Um, so for me. Um, uh, it's a little different. Um, I mean, I had wanted to go to film school, but um, I didn't because uh, it was too expensive. Um, uh, I'm from Singapore, and so uh, you know, in my you know, well, growing up, my dad was like, he had like this kind of like a semi home theater system, huh. sound system uh, at home. And so, you know, we watched like movies over and over again, you know, um, you know, so like I grew up like watching like say Terminator 2 dozens of times or, you know, or, or like going to the theater and watching Jurassic Park. Uh, so, you know, I was just so 
no. Obviously, you know, you just grew up like what, like loving watching movies, and you know, I was just amazed by how powerful sound is. Um, it can help, you know, bring the audience into the world of the film, and and it's so like immersive, and and you don't, it doesn't really. It's kind of like a invisible tool, mm-hmm. and but in a sense, I kind of like got interested in that, and so. Um, um, so I studied a little bit on like audio engineering um, for music recording and stuff, but um, then found work in Singapore um, in a post house for like commercials and music recording. But wanted to do I wanted to do film, so um, then I just wrote letters, unsolicited letters to like uh, studio sound department heads or sound studio owners to see if I could visit them and in LA um, to sit in and learn and then I got some replies uh, and just flew out to Los Angeles wow and then from those sit-ins a job came about or you you just met the right people or what what happened Uh, somehow no I saw an ad for for finding work um, I saw an ad posted like um, like one of those schools um so i just mm. applied for it mm. and um um but because i think because i had some p- past experience in singapore doing you know post sound mm-hmm. um so it made it easier but i kind of knew that i wanted to focus more on say for sound i wanted to focus more on uh, sound effects sound design and and because of the way that we worked in radio tv commercials and music is I would record and edit and mix everything. So it's a natural progression for me to you know, also do some mix of my work. So those are two very different paths to get to mm-hmm. your point. Is there maybe like a more general linear path that people who are interested in sound design today uh, mm-hmm. could take to reach your guys' level of, of success or just the exciting projects that you guys are working on? Sure, I would say if you if you can go to film school, film schools now have audio departments and um, I uh, recently taught a semester at USC and I was impressed with the quality of their sound department. Well, of course, USC is like this very expensive, very well-regarded film school, but it was like almost like a mini studio. They had every aspect of sound and the students there got the kind of education where especially if you go on to the graduate level, you could, um, you know, look for a job and you would have the skills to at least start hmm. working on a film. And what type of skills are those? Well, like Eileen was talking about, it's not kind of like what Eileen went through where they you have to record, they, they have programs where you make short films and when you make the short film, you have to do every aspect of it, except for mixing. But you do have to record, you know, record your film or you work on other people's films, you take turns, but you have to do um, production recording, then you have to do sound editing, and then they would have other students who specialized in mixing do the mixing. But I would say if you can't afford it, do film school. If you can't afford it, do what Eileen did, which is you just start doing it and you um, you get you get enough of a experience that there will be other people, like, like you were saying, you made a film, you hired a sound designer, you just start doing it. Mm-hmm. And... Um, when I were when I went 
worked my way through the the sound business, I started as an assistant, an apprentice and an assistant, because those positions were, were plentiful. They're very few now. Most mm. films d- maybe have no apprentices, one assistant. Some don't have any assistants. So um, I would say develop your skills working on your own films, on your friends' films, and then try to get work as a sound editor or a sound designer. Mm. So why do you think that is? Why do you think there are less assistant positions or positions available, I guess, in sound as as a starter? Um, as I a think a lot of it has to do with the technology. In um, When I started, it was on film, and you had to have assistance. You, they were, there was so much, like, for example, when you did sound effects editing, the editor would edit on a movieola and, and, and kind of edit to the picture on this this um, uh, a synchronizer which ganged the sound and the picture together. Then they would hang all the pieces of sound in a bin. Then the assistant would come, and they would have footages on them, and the assistant would literally build the reel of sound and say, okay, at this footage, splice in this sound. So you needed an assistant to do that. Now it's done on a computer, right. so you need less people. Yeah. So as you're going through your career, um, are you building up like sounds in a sort of like library that you maybe come back to again and again when you're designing films or... Uh, how does yeah how does that work I guess yeah I do a certain degree of that because um you know maybe recording voices and background voices but with Eileen as a sound designer she does a lot more of that yeah Eileen can you talk about that a little bit yeah so um one of the things is like you know um being interested in sounds is uh, sometimes you want fresh new sounds but you know um obviously with each project if you know if you have luxury to have the time and the budget, it's always good to go and get fresh recordings. Um, but um, I know most of the time, you know, especially lately, you know, um, the crew sizes get smaller and budgets tighter and schedules tighter. So um, typically, I would try to say, you know, record as many sounds as I can. And um, so, you know, even besides getting like a nice mic and recorder set up, you know, I just have like a small portable handheld recorder that I carry around my purse all the time. So, um, you know, anywhere you go, you know, sometimes you may run into something weird, like, oh, that light's making a weird sound, you know, let me just take it out and just record it. Um, And, you know, with technology, you know, I know they aren't the best mics, but I think the key is having the recorder around, the convenience and the... um, not to be too obvious that you're out in the public and recording so people won't, won't walk up to you and go like what are you doing <laughs> um so you know you just record them you know you don't know when you're ever going to use it if you would ever use it but uh if you then you know slowly build up your library that way but um obviously you know sometimes it's unique big sounds that you can't just go up and just record it um out of the blue up from the street uh, or anywhere else or, or uh, but you know Save if save we're on trips or going on hikes. You know, it's good to just record something and just add it to the library. But of course, nowadays, especially, um, you know, um, there's a lot more um, sound libraries that are put up for sale, mm-hmm. um, and some of them are really good. Mm-hmm. And um, which was not as often um, that it came up with before. But I feel like the last five or eight years. There's more and more of these sound libraries out for sale, and um, sometimes you know they're also good tools to just for sound designers. Uh, it's really important to build up mm. your library and, mm-hmm. and and to be familiar with it, uh, or you know creating them. Sometimes depending on film, you know besides like 
you know, you can record all kinds of animal sounds or even like uh, our dog or something mm. um, and you know, process it differently. Or sometimes, you know, um, I had like um, gotten like net, uh, native instruments, um, you know, just to recreate some um, some synth mm-hmm. or um, yeah um, kind of sounds here and there for if you end up doing on some working on some sci- something sci-fi mm-hmm. or you know computers or stuff. So what kind of equipment do you use when you're out like just grabbing sounds? Is it just like a like a zoom like? Yeah, something little... like that. Um, yeah, zooms are pretty popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for me, for the small portable thing, I just had like a small, um, like a Sony, I think it's called M10. But unfortunately, I think they don't make them anymore. Oh, no. I know, I um, one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, now if you can find them for sale, it's like really expensive. I mean, like, you know, it used to be like $100. Now it's like, if you find it for sale, it's like five hundred dollars. Wow. Um, but um, I mean, they're they decent, and there's a lot to know. Zoom Olympus, you know, they they make many different models. For me, it's like the size, and still good quality, ease of use, and battery power. Yeah. <laughs> that no, that needs to last quite a bit. And then uh, for the actual, you know, proper recording, if you know when we can, you know, um, I, we have like different mic setups. Like personally, for me, I have like say two or three different mic setups that own, um, like uh, I would build my own MS rig um, mm-hmm. with shafts and mm. sound devices, um, recorders. Do you have a, do you do this as well uh, for, for I, picking I, up the I have the a Zoom, rec- um, yeah. Yeah, I, I carry a Zoom recorder too. Um, mostly I like to use it for uh, a good walla. Like if I'm in a restaurant or a cafe and they're not playing music, yeah. I like to record it. Cause that's sort of, it's hard to duplicate in a studio. I often have to duplicate it using a, a loop group of, with a bunch of actors, but you can never really get that uh, that sound mm-hmm. as well. So, but there's always music playing most of the time. But well, yeah. that's I was very worried when we were uh, when I came into the Four Seasons today because yes. I was like I thought we were going to be doing this interview in a in a bar <laughs> downstairs in a lobby. And I was like, oh, if we're gonna have this music going on in the back. Yeah. You just can't do it. Um, so, how much of your time is spent like? Uh, digi- like using these sounds and, and organizing them digitally and maybe even like manipulating them uh, with certain software uh, to find new sounds uh, or, or um, how do you organize your massive collection of things you've gotten throughout the years in the field? Uh, well, for me, it's different because I start by using the production sound that was recorded for the film. Right. And um, so I don't, so I use that, that I start fresh every time. Mm-hmm. Um, but then once I get going and I start editing, then I start using um, different plugins to help edit and clean up the the, the production dialogue. Mm. Um, one thing I really like to use now is Isotope RX6 Advanced. It has all these tools in it. It cleans out mouth clicks really well. It's good with getting rid of background sounds and um, clean clearing out the dialogue um it has all kinds of things it's they have this part that where they can actually go in and if there's like let's say let's say we're talking and a phone starts beeping you can literally go in and um remove the beep of the phone so like you can see the see the sound the graph yes you can color it out 
So how, uh, just as a follow-up question to that, um, for, you know, the type of filmmaker that's doing a lot of this stuff himself or for, like, lower-budget films um, who are getting location sound, what are some things that you see again and again that are mistakes um, that our listeners should be aware of? Well, the one thing I think is the most important thing, I really cannot emphasize this enough, is get good production sound. It's so important. And when I was when I taught that class at USC, I kept saying that and always roll sound, even if it's an insert shot or, you know, sometimes they would it would be like someone would be flipping through a book and they wouldn't roll sound. I'm like, why aren't you rolling sound? And they'd say, oh, we're going to put Foley in. And I, and I would say, that's crazy. Why record Foley when you could just record the pages turning? So always roll sound, have good mic placement, make sure you're getting a good signal to noise ratio. It's so important. And then with that, then you can, you know, add the sound design and, and backgrounds and all kinds of things and make it even better. But if you don't have that, it, it'll make your, your work so much more difficult. Plus, um, just like to add to it too, is, um, you know, with acting, the performance, um, typically, at least with the directors we've worked with, um, they much rather prefer the uh, origin of performances sure, yeah. um, from a production than doing it in ADR. And so, um, and it always sounds more, much more natural that way. Yeah. So, can you talk a little bit now that we're getting into like your work with directors? Um, can you talk about your sort of collaborative process with Damien? His, how involved is he in the post production process and sound? Uh, is he like coming to you with ideas for like how a rocket taking off should sound like? Are these things that you discuss uh, prior to post production? Uh, yeah, say like on First Man, um, you know, with Damien, um, uh, much early on during pre-production, um, he showed us the animatics that he worked on mm. and it had sounds in there. Okay. And uh, those animatics were a good guide for like what they need to cover in production and also the sounds in there, it also kind of gives us an idea like what we need to cover besides not reading the script um so with that um so and then he also talked to us about like you know what's important to him the saturn five uh rocket you know uh it's he wanted to get the sound right um because you know it was and still is the most powerful rocket in the world um so you know he wanted to sell the fury and and the insanity of it and and so you know um we start looking into like various NASA archives, they had sound recordings there, you know, because we wanted to be authentic as much as we could, besides embellishing it somewhere later on. But um, it's hard to find, like, good original recordings, especially from back then. Sure. So, um, so you know, uh, basically, like, uh, we embarked on, like, trying to get in touch with as many uh, rocket companies as we could. And, you know, it's good that this film had NASA and Defense Department's cooperation, so it, it makes it easier. So um, so we recorded, like, um, you know, various rockets, including, uh, you know, we were lucky enough, like, this past February, SpaceX launched their biggest rocket ever, the Falcon Heavy. Mm. And, um, you know, it is, like, to date, the closest in size... I mean, in power to the Saturn V. So we're, we're lucky enough that, you know, we could plant, like, mics that are, like, on the launch pad, um, you know, closer than not usual, that yeah. access-wise and distance that we are comfortable with right. for, with our 
gears. Um, so you know, we could get as close as like three to four hundred yards away um, from the launch site, and then you know, a quarter mile, three miles, and so on and so forth. And this way, we could capture you know, like the ignition um, uh, and the various launch sounds the, for the different distances. The sound is. It changes the character. The characteristic of the launch changes, you know, depending on the distances. Uh, the distances you recorded, uh, even the um, sonic booms um, when it, you know, re-enters the atmosphere. You know, we captured all that and used that. Like, say for the sonic booms, we used that in the uh, X-15 sequence, and uh, we also recorded a whole bunch of other rockets from like the other SpaceX rocket in ULA, and some other like um, smaller lunar lander development companies um, uh, out in the Mojave Desert, just so we could sneak as much of like original sounds as we can mm. uh, in the film. And uh, also to help with the feeling of the Saturn V launch, um, um, because we wanted to be able to feel it more. So with the low end, so uh, we also went to JPL and recorded the acoustic chamber that is like used to test um, uh, uh, equipment mm -hmm. just make sure they could withstand the uh, launch environment so the acoustic chamber is like powered by nitrogen gas to make to create that sound and um, to create to, to mimic a launch environment mm -hmm. so yeah uh, and, and yeah we did a whole bunch of other recordings but yeah. <laughs> that is like an in the insane amount of I think like research and detail that you have to put into like designing something like this is just yeah um, we um I mean, like, uh, early on in the film, you know, uh, Damien had a whole list of movies for us to watch, you know, like, going to space and, like, watch Das Boot. Because okay. yeah. it's like, you know, it's a... They're trapped in this... No, right. I mean, they're not really trapped. No, they are, like, living in this submarine, doing that, you know, mission. And um, it's the sounds, the creaking, and, you know, um, even though it's, it seems so solid, but... You know, it can be so fragile. You know, the, the deeper they go, so same thing with this um, with the rockets. Yeah, um, so much of the tension is built from claustrophobia throughout yeah. the entire movie, and like sound is huge in that respect in this film, um, particularly. It sounds like um, the way that Damien was giving you notes um, in terms of like it was it was how he wanted things to feel rather than like a explicit like we're going to use like this type of sound mm -hmm. um is there a a sort of note uh a perfect note or a perfect way of giving notes that for directors to give their sound team to get the kind of vibe that they're they want well i mean i think he seems to go for more of like you know describing how he wants the scene to feel you know say um say these cockpit spacecraft scenes you know he would you know say um he wants to build it up more, more visceral, uh, just like he wants it surprising and unexpected. Um, so, or, or say, oh, he would also say he wanted it to be terrifying. Yeah, terrifying, yeah. almost like sometimes almost like a horror film. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but he said a good horror film like Rosemary's Baby. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, watch that too. Um, <laughs> really? or, 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 you know, he wants it like, or, or sometimes, you know, to help with the claustrophobia, you know, um, he kind of described it as like some of those Terrence Malick films. Hmm. Um, you know, so, um, because they are in such tight environments. So, um, so we play up things like, you know, um, like even when they 
flip a switch or grab a control stick, you would hear like a close up glove creaks and things like that. Um, um, and then, you know, he talked to us about um, how he wants the sound of uh, deep space to feel, um, 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 to have this like chilling effect, but mm-hmm. no calming. It's almost like the astronauts are um, leaving the world of the living and heading towards like a place where no man's supposed to go. Um, so, um, yeah. And, and also um, for, for, for me, he kept emphasizing how it ha- he wanted the when they're on Earth, it had to sound like a documentary. It had to sound real. That the sound shouldn't call attention to itself. That just the way the um, that he used sixteen millimeter film, and you see the film grain. Mm-hmm. The equivalent for that would be to hear the grit on the production sound. Mm-hmm. Like, don't clean it up too much. Which sometimes that's what you want. And I. I I'll spend a lot of time like making the sound, the dialogue sound pristine, but that wasn't the case here. It had to be intelligible, but but it had to sound more like a documentary mm-hmm. where you were aware of the movement in the room and the maybe it wasn't perfectly on mic all times. We used, you know, we'll use the mix track instead of the the, the lavaliers, things like that. To a degree where it was interesting because when I worked with Susan Dawes, who's a dialogue editor too, and we would like we would clean up these scenes and we'd have these discussions do you think it's too clean and and then say well okay let's send it in because we'd we do both idling and i we would do our work and then they would ask for stuff and we'd give it to them and then they whether if they put it in the avid tracks that meant they liked it huh. and that meant we were working you know in the right direction and sometimes he like for us he would bounce it back and say uh you know mission control is too clean make it sound a little bit more like the real the real room is this done uh, kind of simultaneously with the edit, or is the edit finished before you guys? It's simultaneous. They 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 start before we we do. But Eileen yeah. actually came on pretty. How how many weeks were they into the picture edit when you started? She started first um, to provide sound effects. Possibly three or four weeks into the, the director's um, cut. director's cut. Mm. Yeah. So then, how how did your relationship with actually with Justin, uh, the composer, uh, were you guys kind of bouncing ideas off of each other, or which came first, uh, the sound design, the score? Um, well, no, the 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 unique relationship for uh, Justin and and Damien is um, that you know when the, I think you know it's possibly like even during pre production, um, Justin would already be working on. The music, mm. the you no, know, maybe coming up with sounds, the theme, and whatnot, and, and bouncing ideas back and forth with Damien. And so, by the time for us, uh, when we start post sound, um, that would be quite a few, you know, pretty good mock ups, and they would have kind of pretty good ideas on where and when, where there's music or not. Mm. Um, and so, you know, um, basically, when um, Tom Cross was the picture editor and Damien when they are cutting the film they would be cutting in conjunction with Justin's music and Justin uh, uh, um, his office would be like right next to them hmm. and so um, so by the time we're on so uh, we, we we get this these turnovers um, from the Abbott uh, from them and um, that way I kind of know um, no what the music is like, how, what frequency range, 
what the mood is and um and so we can add sounds to it that won't clash and complement it and also one of the things that Damien mentioned earlier on is he really likes how um music meets sound design um you know so he lists a few like Stanley Kubrick films um so um that also allows me like when so that means like when we start working on the sound design we could pick sounds that could then segue you know hopefully a bit more seamlessly uh, into the music or out of it um even during the Saturn V launch um that you know typically they started off cutting the scene thinking like oh yeah it should be all sound effects because you want to hear it and um but you know they felt like uh the the scene was didn't quite work for them so um um so they then had justin score it uh so um they cut the scene to the score and then we added the sounds to it. Mm. And just in knowing that there will be like these loud, like constant roars of explosions and yeah. whatnot. Yeah. So he was smart enough and, 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 and very uh, tastefully like um, picked instrumentations that won't conflict mm. too much with the sound so that, you know, by the time we mixed it, um, yeah, we could just play everything up and, you know, you just feel it. And, and also with the sound effects, you know, when we are cutting it, we are all, always in um, constant, like, just make sure we don't, like, add sounds that's, like, say, too much percussion, like, stuck tack, um, uh, constant hits that would, yeah. like, mimic the... Staccato or... Yeah, 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 yeah. sorry. It's hard for me to pronounce it. <laughs> 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 um, so, yeah, so it won't clash too much with the music, so... Great. Well, it sounds like there is such a uh, beneficial relationship of having sort of the score and the sound design going at the Definitely. same time. Definitely, because you would be surprised how many times on films, like the sound design team will work really hard on a sequence and then they come to the mix and there's this really loud music all over everything and you can't hear any of it. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, well, I mean, the thing is, is, is you know, um, that's always a give and take uh, in a mix. Because um, sometimes the scene plays better with mostly music and not, uh, no. But um, it's just, you know, it, it helps everyone when, um, you know, um, if the, the composer, um, you know, starts off early and then the sound. And then so you kind of have more of a communication back and forth on how best to give each other moments. Because, um, you know, sometimes we do run into mm-hmm. things like... Um, when you know sometimes like say if there's a big explosion scene or you know gunshots and you have like a big instrument hit on an explosion that would then be covered by (laughs) (laughs) and the thing that's really interesting about this film is there there i would say three major set pieces two of two of the three are no music Right? right. So the X15, there's no music. The the Gemini sequence, there's no music. But then, and then it's really lovely when the Apollo rocket goes off. It's this really nice, and Eiling explained how that worked, but this really nice combination of sound effects and music. Yeah, and I think also the absence of sound in general yes. of anything I, I like i mean science fiction it should be a rule that there are there is no sound in an exterior in space in in my opinion but you know uh it worked incredibly well for this film because oh, good. yeah because because so, they're so 
isolated in a way. You know, you have the score, you have the absence of sound, and you have the sound design. And when they all sort of play together like that, it really brings this emotional response, I think, out of the audience. Um, and great. Well, thanks. I don't want to take all your day. It was fun talking to you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> could, could you give me uh, one piece of advice each for aspiring sound designers um, to, uh, to, to have a successful career or to, to, to break in to the industry, I suppose? Hmm. Um, I say, you know, um, for me, like, you know, just keep recording or creating sounds or even volunteer on any kinds of projects. It could even be um, a commercial or video game or um, short films, TV or features. That way you kind of, a lot of it for me is about doing it. Uh, and then you know, know what works and what doesn't, and also then you also get to build up a you know, like a little reel maybe to show. True. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I completely agree with what with that, and and also talk to people. I I, I find I learn. Um, there are times when I work so hard and I don't want to take a lunch break. I want to keep working, but I often find that when I have lunch with sound designers and other sound people, um, I'll learn these things. Like they'll say, oh my God, there's this new plugin or this new microphone or yeah. whatever. And so, you know, talk to other sound people. That's great. Tricks of the trade. Yep. <laughs> well, I hope that, uh, yeah, I hope that this was an informative interview for, for everyone. Um, I think it was, it was great to hear this from my part, just because the sound is I was ecstatic to get this interview. The sound in this movie is amazing, and the oh, movie is you. great, too. So thank uh, you. thanks for sitting down with me. Thank you. Thank yeah, you for talking to you. us. Yeah. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you use. And if it's iTunes, go ahead and give us a rating. You can tune in on Thursdays for Indie Film Weekly, our weekly news show, and every Monday for an interview episode like the one you just heard. I'm John Fusco. You can follow me on Twitter at Jim underscore John underscore Jim, and you can follow No Film School at No Film School. Until Indie Film Weekly, we'll see you later. <laughs>